Well, this is the second uh, in a series, this little series that I'm doing on the subject of manifesting. And last week, uh, we talked about manifesting who we are and how important it is not just to try and put across our good sides, but also to acknowledge that each of us has good and bad, light and dark, yin and yang, and that it's important to be transparent about who we are rather than trying to live in a full self and therefore become, as it says in the Bible, whited sepulchres, supposedly clean and okay on the outside, but not really revealing what's within. I mentioned that idea from Bede Griffiths, uh, that all we manifest out there is really just a reflection of everything that's in here. So we begin by telling the truth about ourselves, and then we look out into the world, and we see what's being manifested. Not just from ourselves, but from what's going on in society as a whole. And I think we have to take responsibility for that, as we are one with that universe. There is a a oneness about the whole thing. And once we see what's going on as a whole, then we can look at how we can engage individually and manifest ourselves within that bigger picture. And as we look out onto our world, you know, what a sorry sight we do see at the moment. I came across this poem from Rilke, which I think perfectly expresses it. The cities only care for what is theirs and uproot all that's in their path. They crush the creatures like hollow sticks and burn up nations like kindling. Their people serve the culture of the day, losing all balance and moderation, calling their aimlessness progress, driving recklessly where they once drove slow. And with all that metal and glass and making such a racket, it's as if they were under a spell. They can no longer be themselves. Money keeps growing, takes all their strength and empties them like a scouring wind while they wait for wine and their poisonous passions to spur them to fruitless occupations. Well, a bit of a downer on that, but you can see, you get a sense. I mean, that relentlessness that is called progress, and we just look out at the world. We see it in, in wars, in Afghanistan, in COVID, in climate change, in dictatorships oppressing their people, in the lack of harmony and respect in our politics, in the polarisation of views, in discrimination, in corruption, and in the ongoing refugee crisis all around the world. It seems that it's ever been thus, through the ages of war, famine, pestilence, Humanity seemingly has always been in a bad way. 
However, the difference is that these issues are now so obviously global. And we're faced with the fact that we have to do something about it. No longer can we look out there and say, well, that's Africa's problem, or that's for the Chinese to deal with. It seems that with the growth of global consciousness that's come with the TV and internet, there's also a growth in global problems that affects everybody as in the pandemic, as in climate change, as in increased weather events, as in the refugee crisis, as in democracy being under threat. These are all world problems that can only be solved from a world perspective. It's no longer for us to wring our hands and just hope that someone else is going to solve them. I think from a spiritual perspective, the world is going through a second axial age. Now, the idea of an axial age was first put forward by Carl Jaspers, who said that the first axial age took place between 800 BC and about Jesus' death, that sort of time. Axial, as in axes, um, a pivotal point. An axis is a pivotal point. And Jasper saw this first actual age as being a pivotal point through the emergence of a shift from localized issues, you know, what's going on in our tribe or our city or things like that, to an awareness of the transcendent. That's what happened over those periods of time. There was an awareness of the transcendent. He says Confucius and Lao Tzu were living in China, all the schools of Chinese philosophy came into being. India introduced the Upanishads and Buddha. Um, in Iran, Zarathustra taught a challenging view of the world as a struggle between good and evil. In Palestine, the prophets made their appearances. Greece saw the appearance of Homer, of the philosophers, and of Plato. And Jesus was also part of that shift. Now, Michael uh, Bowens, the philosopher, argues that we're now in a second axial age. And this axial age is characterized by the arrival of a new global consciousness. Still acutely aware of individual existence, we begin to recognize our roles as global beings. And the markers he sees in this, this rise of the second actual age are the awareness of the world, the cosmos, everything as a single entity, the oneness of everything, the awareness of that growing, and a greater reflection on the transcendent and the nature of ultimate reality. That's number two. The attention to that idea of a unitary ground of being or God, a core set of laws and principles in that cosmos. A new sense of hu the human individual as related to the overarching whole. The idea of self-consciousness, the expanded self, that whole idea. The engagement uh, with human morality and the new focus on liberation. And the emerging concerns with compassion, empathy, ethics, individual responsibility for each other and social justice as important synergies 
in a human social existence. That he sees as the markers of the emergence of this second axial age. So I think we've got two things going on here. We've got the rise of global consciousness with the rise of global problems alongside the rise in this thinking, the thinking of a second axial age. And surely there can be no coincidence that all these things are happening at the same time. It's from this new thinking that the problems that are manifesting in the world have to be solved. That old thing from Einstein that, you know, problems will not be solved by the same consciousness that created them in the first place. And these, this new thinking really is what can solve some of these problems, which is why I think what we're doing here is so important. It seems obvious to me that politics is not cutting the mustard in this situation. Politicians don't seem to be able to get their own houses in order, let alone tackle global issues. And it's not going to be solved by the military either. Much as they would like, the military and the military-industrial complex is an expression of a very old, even ancient thinking that held is might, that might is right and that you could kill your way to peace. Even it seems to me that philosophers seem ill-equipped to help us. Gone are the days when our thinking was tempered by our philosophers. Nowadays, our thinking is tempered by Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I think the truth for me is that outside this spiritual approach, this second actual age type of thinking, there doesn't seem to be a solution in sight. Leaders either pander to their own domestic audiences or their global industrial power or their ability to suppress dissent. With those being their priorities, the priorities of those who are supposedly in charge today, who is there to step up and make the case for a more radical change? Well, aside from Greta Thunberg and those committed to protest and social action, there doesn't seem to be much traction on the leaves of power that are necessary to make a change that will affect the way that we're going. That's what we, seven billion people who are alive today, that's what we're manifesting in the world, all this stuff. And I think we have to take responsibility for it. We have to take responsibility for the crisis that humanity is going through and for the lack of will and action from those in charge to do anything about it. And what we're left with is those tools that are bequeathed to us in the thinking and experiencing of this second axial age. The awareness of the world, the cosmos as one reality, the reflection on the transcendent and the nature of ultimate reality, and so on. This is our field. And it's up to us to step up to the plate and 
take on these issues. Because, you know, I ask you, who else is going to? And, and what other wisdom is there to deal with what's going on? Because I think we do have the wisdom. We have the awareness of the oneness of all and the fact that national boundaries, national boundaries have no place in this solution. That what we do in a microcosm, we know what we do in a microcosm affects the macrocosm. Our realisation that we are all portals of love. That our role is not to lash out when we're attacked, but to respond with love. And also the vision to see the equality of particularity, the equality of particularity. That, that's the idea that no one thing, person or species or more important, any other person or anything has any more value than anything else. Everything, everything has equal value. You know, iron has the same you know, intrinsic value. No one particular element is more you know, important than any other element. No more species is more important. There's an equality of particularity. And this last one speaks directly to the issues that we have around refugees who are, who are merely responding to events and circumstances that are outside their control. Refugees are just responding to events and circumstances. Many of us these, that we've created, developed countries have created, they're just responding to events and circumstances that are outside our, our, their control. Whereas some of us can move to, from New York to Aspen to escape the pandemic, those without means have much more difficulty moving around and are much less welcome wherever they go. Again, there's a, a follow-on poem from Rilke, which is the next poem in the series from the last one that I read. So this is, and I think this speaks to this, it says, he's talking about the people in the cities first. Under these people, your poor ones suffer. All they see weighs them down, makes them shiver and burn like a fever. Evicted from where they live, they wander the night like ghosts, burdened with filth and decay, assailed by onrushing traffic, its noise, its lights. If there exists a mouth for their protection, may it open now and speak. If there exists a mouth for their protection, may it open now and speak. We have to be that mouth. We have to be that mouth. We have to be that for all of it. That's, that's our role. So, for me, the second step in the journey of manifesting is to see what humanity is currently manifesting and see that we're a part of that. It's not just up to world leaders and the Twitterati to come up with a response. It's up to each one of us. And that brings us back to ourselves. Imperfect, but complete. 
in containing light and darkness, yin and yang, good and bad. We may see ourselves as being small in the face of the world, but the, if you, but the issues that we all face also look small when you look at them from space, from the greater universe. These issues look small when you look at them from space, you know, from a distance and all that sort of business. They're like, these issues are like, looking from space, they're like clouds that come and go on the face of the earth. And we have to see them as such. And we have to see that we must not be intimidated by this weather. We must plant and sow. And in that reading that Bruce brought us, knowing that there is a possibility that what we do will be multiplied 100-fold. We may think that what we do won't make any difference, but we have to realise that we are part of a camp or a tribe that actually does have an answer to these problems. And if not the answer, then we have the rich soil from where these answers might grow. We have to cultivate that soil and plant those ideas in the understanding that they are absolutely current and relevant to what humanity is facing at the moment. And the first thing we have to do is to make this, to make this happen is to take it seriously. For many, gathering, gatherings like this are part of the entertainment industry. In England, churches, if they want to have music, have to apply for an entertainment license to perform music. And I've always said that, uh, that the danger for me up here is that I end up performing spiritual stand-up. That this is sort of all done for laughs, or at least to make everyone feel good about themselves and about their lives. Well, Bill Shankly, who none of you... Anyone heard of Bill Shankly? Bill Shankly was the Liverpool United soccer coach. And he famously said, some people believe football is a matter of life and death. I'm very disappointed with that attitude. I can assure you that it's much, much more important than that. And the same is true about what we're talking about now. It's not just a matter of life and death. It's much, much more important than that. What we do here is not just about our own personal edification. It's not about us getting to heaven. It's not about our friends and family having a good time. It's not about us getting enlightened. It's about the future of humanity. And we need to treat it as such. Your spiritual practice, you being here on a Sunday, your participation within this community is the coalface where you work on this. For whatever reason, you have ended up at this coalface. You're not at Crossroads. You're not at the Episcopal Church. 
You go to the Humanist Society gathering, so that they're probably on Saturday or Friday, you're here. And while you're here in this community, that's what you're part of. We are exploring these ideas together. We're sharing our wisdom together. And we are acting together, together with that greater tribe that we all know who they are, all these different organizations that when they speak, we just know they speak for us, Spirit Ra, all these people you know, who get up and Dalai Lama, we know the tribe. But this is the local coalface of that particular tribe that we all read books about, that we all go to seminars about, that we all meditate on Christians thinking about. This, this is the coalface of that. This is the little community. You know, together we till our soil here. Together we plant our seeds. Together we become mouths that speak for others. So I just really want to encourage you to take your spiritual practice seriously. To use it as a seedbed for answers to what we're all facing. To come here ready to engage with each other with what we're talking about. And to prioritize your participation with the chapel. Because it's here that you can work on manifesting that which makes a difference to the world. The answer to the world's problems will come from the ideas that have been generated from this second axial age. The awareness of the world as cosmos and reality as being one. The reflection on the transcendent. The idea of the ground of being at the center of the cosmos. The new idea of exploring the self and consciousness. Engagement with human morality and the emergence of concern and compassion and empathy for others. It's here that the answers to the problems that we're facing will come. The answers will not be found in a debate between socialism and capitalism, or about border issues, or even about CO2 reduction. It's not until we take responsibility for the one world that we're all a part of, that we will find solutions to these problems. And our taking responsibility for that is part of the process. You know, here we may just be a small group, but the seriousness of our endeavor will dictate the effect that we have. So I ask you all to look at what you're doing in this area. Your meditation, your engagement with this material, your participation with this community, and see what we can manifest over this next period of time. Next week, we're going to look at how we individually manifest what happens around us. I've always, we always have a microphone here. If anyone wants to say anything in response to what I've said or, or chip in or anything, there's an opportunity for a bit of conversation, reflection, feedback, whatever. Um, I, like the, I like the idea that we're all a part of some un ongoing process, the evolution that we can contribute uh, to evolution. And I, I found this poem by Meister Eckhart, the 14th century uh, German mystic, uh, was called when I was, when I was the Forest. When I was the Forest. When I was the stream, when I was the forest, when I was still the field, when I was every hoof, foot, fin, and wing, when I was the sky itself, no one ever asked me, did I have a purpose? No one ever wondered, was there anything I might need? 
for there was nothing I could not love. It was when I left all we once were that the agony began, the fear and the questions came, and I wept, I wept, and tears I had never known before. So I returned to the river, I returned to the mountains, I asked for their hand in marriage again, I begged, I begged to wed every object and creature. And when they accepted, God was ever present in my arms. And he did not say, where have you been? For then I knew my soul, every soul, has always held him. I think that's nice. Anyone like to say anything at all? CP, thank you. Just, uh, yeah, just come to that microphone. Uh, by the wonders of magic, it'll come on. Hello. Hello. Yes, that's good. I just wanted to remind everybody that Tuesday is Nicholas's birthday. And I thought maybe we could have a round of happy birthday since we have our excellent pianist. <laughs> I can't lead this. <laughs> oh, dear. Thank you very much. That's very kind of you. That's very kind of you. You're not 50 every day, so that's uh, important. So, uh, thank you. Anybody else want to say anything at all in relation to, to anything, what we've been saying? I always like to leave it just a little bit to get uncomfortable because then, then someone might want to say anything. Okay, good.